Fan Morning Show. Cuthbert and Gunning. You got to butter up Andrew behind the glass more. You got to talk about how good he is. He's always giving me the eyes to let me know if the guest is there. You got to get on his good side. Yeah, he's we're, always telling me, but he's got to tell you. If we're taking you inside a little bit, like clearly Ailish sits in the chair where she can look at, like that's how it yeah. goes. And I'm kind of in the corner here. I'm if you've seen any of the videos, you up. sit in Ailish's chair. So I got to crank to make sure gotta butter him up. that we're good to go. Uh, Andrew and Danielle are doing a great job behind the glass. As always, let's bring in our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is a big weekend in Toronto. Level of excellence is getting a new addition, and it will be none other than Jose Bautista to talk about Bautista and his time working with Bautista. We're bringing in Brooke Jacoby, former MLB infielder and the coach, the hitting coach, that is. Uh, of the Blue Jays from 2015 to 2018. So there's some pretty good seasons of Jose Bautista within that. Uh, good morning, Brooke. What's going on? Good, good morning, guys. How you doing? Uh, we are doing pretty good. Okay, so level of excellence means, you know, excellence, right? Uh, so Bautista is excellent. He had excellence. He oozes excellence. But what were the things that allowed him to excel in your time working with Jose? Well, of course, Jose had made those adjustments prior to uh, my getting there, and he he had already established himself as a big power hitter in the in the league, in the American League. Um, I think I think with Jose, the biggest thing, I mean, those moments he lived for those big moments, and uh, and he had a lot of them uh, in the short time that I was there. He he did a lot of good things, helped us get to the playoffs in '15. Uh, had some had some pretty decent numbers in the playoffs as well. So he did a lot of good things there when I was there. Yeah, he uh, he he certainly did. And again, uh, you don't get up on the uh, level of excellence for nothing. Uh, so certainly uh, a deserved honor for him. Uh, you know, there are many Batista moments, but there's one that we all think of. Uh, we can't get anyone from that team on ever and not ask them about what it was like for them in the moment with the bat flip. I mean, we all think of it as the bat flip, but I remember the inning that, I don't know, it felt three hours long to me. I don't know how long it felt to you with the Shin Chu Chu play and everything going on there. Just what is it like when you think back to uh, that that moment is one that I mean everybody has memories of but uh, for you I'm sure they're just a little fonder well you know the the home run was huge um, but the way the fans reacted <clears throat> I've never seen anything like it before talk about passion in, in baseball you know you see that kind of passion in hockey games and, and whatnot and, uh, but the, the stadium came crashing down, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, uh, that that is one of the most remarkable scenes I've seen in my sporting watching life. Uh, I wish I was in the building. Of course, you were. Uh, we're getting new. Like, we're seeing, obviously, highlights of it uh, as we tee up here at Sportsnet. Um, the the big moment and and the uh, enshrinement, if you want to put it that way, uh, on Saturday and just seeing the look on all these guys' faces, familiar faces, guys you weren't, uh, you, you didn't remember until you saw the highlight uh, over again. Uh, it's just so much joy that that moment provided both the team uh, and, of course, the fan base. Uh, you mentioned when you got there, Jose was already established, which was true. He already had his 54 home run season. Uh, he already had made his mark as an MLB player. So when you're 
coming into that situation with Jose Bautista already sort of, you know, running shop from a hitting standpoint uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays. What's your approach with him? Are you just trying to, you know, get to know him as a hitter, trying to point out certain things? Or do you leave a guy like Jose Bautista largely alone to his devices because they're pretty good devices? No, they, absolutely, they were good devices. But, you know, the, the only thing you're just trying to build relationships with these guys and, uh, you know, let them do the talking and, and what makes, what do they want me to look for? What do they need from me? Uh, what kind of information about uh, pitching or, you know, the opposing staffs uh, do they need? And basically leave them alone, get out of their way and let them do their thing. Yeah, I think sometimes that is it, right, is you don't want to gum up the works too much. And, and, you know, you're a good guy to talk about this with because, you know, as good as those teams were, and we're talking about Batista specifically here, but, I mean, you go up and down that lineup and they were deep lineups. There's been a lot of talk with this year's team about, ah, you got a new approach up there. What is a hitting coach saying to players when they're going through a slump? And I imagine it's different for different players. You know, a guy like George Springer has really been going through it at times this year, coming out of it a bit now. I imagine it's a much different an approach with a guy like Springer who has had a long career and has a long track record versus, you know, a younger player who, who's going through it. As a hitting coach, what types of things are you trying to kind of shepherd a guy through a slump? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing is that, that to stay positive with the players. Don't let them see you, you know, I mean, you can't doubt their abilities and what they've done. Uh, it's there at, Something's just not clicking, and most of the time it's it's something mental, uh, or it could be easy as as a as a timing uh, timing issue. But you know, guys will start pressing, and uh, you start like you said, gumming up the works. It can just snowball and make things uh, extended even longer. So try to keep it simple and uh, uh, fill them with positive things and. and Hopefully they, they can get back on track. I don't think there's any magic words that you say or any magic drills that you do to, to get them out of it. But, uh, you know, consistent, consistent uh, positive in, info and, and whatnot is, is really all you can do. Uh, there was certainly magic in the summer of 2015. The Blue Jays hit a league-leading uh, 232 home runs that season. Uh, I remember just as a personal anecdote being on vacation, just doing a little traveling that summer and waking up every morning and seeing the Blue Jays hit, oh, four or five home runs the previous night, and it was the best part of the morning uh, when you were on vacation, waking up and seeing all the damage that your Blue Jay hitters were doing in 2015. From a coaching standpoint, from a baseball standpoint, from a fan standpoint, if you could, you probably were a fan watching all those home runs uh, leave the yard that season. What was it like working with a team that was so successful at the plate in 2015? Uh, depths of summer where they're just hitting all those bombs. Well, uh, like you said, when you go to sleep at night, you sleep pretty good. But uh, I think, uh, uh, God, I just lost my. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I'll I'll uh, I'll get you back on track here. You know, we're we're talking a lot about about Batista 
and the other bat that jumps to mind from those teams is mm-hmm. Encarnacion. They're kind of instricably linked. Again, I don't want to take anything away from other great hitters that were on those teams, but I think people think of those guys. How different were they both to work with and just as hitters? I mean, a lot of people think, yeah, both power bats, how different could it be? But you got to work pretty closely with both of those guys. How different were they both, again, just as personalities and as, as hitters to work with? Well, personality-wise, Eddie was a little a little more quiet. Uh, he joked around a lot with the players, but, you know, I didn't have that relationship with him. I, I had been with him prior over in uh, Cincinnati. <clears throat> I was coaching in Cincinnati when he was there as a young uh, rookie player. And we ended up trading him, I think, for uh, Scotty Rowland. Uh, I think it was that deal that, that brought him over. But... Uh, you know, Batista, Batista was a little more vocal, uh, it seemed like to me, <clears throat> where Eddie was a little more quiet. I, I think Eddie stayed away from the media as much as he could. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, Jose, and Jose didn't. I mean, you know, Jose was the, the – he, he and Eddie were the face of the ball club at that time. Oh, they definitely were. Uh, you mentioned that the stage uh, is something that Jose Bautista craved. He excelled when the stage uh, and the moment was bigger. Is that something that, you know, hitting coaches are highly conscious of? Because it, it's like, I don't know if the stage in a game in late May with two two on uh, is affecting the Blue Jays right now. I don't know if that stage is big enough, but this team has had troubles. This current team has had troubles with runners in scoring position. So is, is the moment something that factors into the equation for hitting coaches, whether it's a bigger at-bat than just a routine at-bat? Is that something where you can kind of tell where some thrive and just others don't? Well, I think... Uh... I think the guys that drive runs in are are, are a little special. Uh, you know, it seems like anymore they don't place value as much on RBIs and, uh, as they used to. But I think it takes a, a certain mentality and a, and a you know a slow heartbeat, sort of speak, to uh, be in those situations and actually thrive. Some guys get a little amped up and and try to do a little too much in those situations where the good RBI guys, they can, they can hit the ball the other way and, and just find a way to get those runs in. Yeah, it's a killer instinct, right? And that's what Jose Bautista had in abundance. I mean, this is a guy who was, uh, if I was going to pick a word, it'd be fiercely competitive. I guess that's two words. Fierce would be the one word. Two words would be fiercely competitive. It's a guy who uh, I I would imagine ran things in the clubhouse somewhat seriously. Like, what was Jose Bautista's vibe in the clubhouse? What was it like being a teammate of Jose Bautista? Was he as serious as it seemed like he was about baseball and about winning? Well, I didn't. I, I was never his teammate, but I I could see from outside, kind of outside. You know, the players have their own little fraternity in there. But <clears throat> he was very well respected in the clubhouse, and he was, you know, guys would go to him uh, when they were struggling. What well, you know? What did you do? How did you change things? What what made you come out of your struggles? Or you know, anything? Jose was there to help. Um, and he didn't shy away from helping uh, the younger players, which uh, which creates a, a good atmosphere in the clubhouse. 
Yeah, it's certainly a, a culture that, that builds on players helping one another. I thought it's interesting to hear you say that about, you know, there's a pretty clear, maybe, you know, church and state separation is too strong a term, but there's a pretty clear separation between the coaches, the manager, and the players themselves. You know, I think people would be a little surprised to hear that. And again, not to say like you guys aren't talking to each other. Of course you are. But just how, what is the role of a manager on a team like that, that you had with a lot of strong personalities and a guy like Batista kind of running the show. And again, it wasn't just him. You had Russell Martin, you had Troy Tulowitzki. Like there are a lot of personalities on those teams. What's the role of a manager with a group like that, that I don't want to say runs themselves, but has a lot of strong personalities involved. Well, yeah, you'd hope the veteran guys would take care of the, the small things and allow the manager to manage and uh, not have to deal with those types of things. But, uh, you know, Gibby, Gibby was a great manager for that group. And, uh, you know, he got the best out of those guys. Um, players manager, let them play and let them handle the, let them handle the, uh, the other issues inside the clubhouse. Uh, last one for you, Brooke. Uh, do you have a Jose Bautista sh- story you can share? Something that uh, when you think about that name, you're immediately reminded of uh, in your overlap and your time working with him with the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, it wasn't necessarily working with him. It was the it was something that happened on the field, and and, and of course the bat flip. You know, I'll never forget that <clears throat> and what came of that whole series. But. Uh, we had a we had a game. It was against the Orioles, and I believe it was in a, a playoff situation as well. But uh, I think it was O'Day. O'Day threw behind Jose. Oh yeah, and knocked him down. <laughs> or, or you know, he threw. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, it was, it was definitely O'Day. I, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. It was definitely O'Day. Yeah. <laughs> and he homered. And I'm thinking to myself. I might have been stepping in the bucket a little bit right there, but Jose got back in there, man. He he, he wanted nothing to do with stepping in the bucket. Yeah, and that, uh, turned the pitch around and homered. I mean, it was it was amazing things he did. Yeah, that was Jose Bautista, right? If he felt uh, mildly aggrieved, even it seemed like good things were going to happen for him and for the Blue Jays, uh, and that's why he's one of the most beloved athletes in this city, and one he's why he's one of the most hated athletes in places like Baltimore because he didn't make many fans outside of Toronto, but he made so many fans uh, in his time in Toronto. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning, uh, Brooke. This was fun catching up. I uh, hope you have a chance to uh, check out the proceedings this weekend because it'll be a special moment seeing Jose Bautista enter the level of excellence uh thanks again for coming on and uh we'll do this again one day great guys thank you very much uh that's brooke jacoby uh former mlb infielder blue jays hitting coach in some of the glory years between 2015 and 2018 and our insider brought to you by don valley north lexus where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom visit donvalleynorthlexus.com man i'm just looking through baseball references for some of these jays teams and not like the ones we all remember i'm going through the whole jose bautista run here and it's like i've just got to 2013 you know what the highest war on the 2013 blue jays colby rasmus man what a uh what a what a time it was i'm just looking at it's like seeing brett Laurie's face and jose reyes in two years things changed so dramatically when jose bautista started as a J, his manager was cedo gaston like that's the that is the level that he ran through of this franchise it's like to Farrell, to gibby back to gibby like it is incredible the run the things he saw as a J and fiery is far and away the word that i think of with him i mean again like i'm i'm half joking here but i'm mostly not 
that when we had Batista on, when we were at the Joe Carter Classic, and I asked him a question that was kind of critical of Laddie. And it's like, he got offended about that. And that irked him. And it looked like he wanted to take me deep right then and there. It's like, he still has that in him. It is the thing you always want from your athletes is for them to care as much as you do. And there are criticisms to be had of a lot of guys that they maybe don't feel the same way. That could never, ever be leveled at Batista. Yeah, until that question about Guerrero is like, wow, Batista's like chill. Like, like, that was not what I was expecting. Why do you want to fight Gunning? Yeah, he, I don't was, know. he was laughing and joking with Joe Carter, and then uh, Gunning went ahead and ruined that. No, he was, he no, was I actually, did. I did. He was actually sure. really good with us, and it was uh, it was awesome to catch up with him and, and cool to talk to Brooke just now as well. I do have a question for you because the – the FedEx uh, Cup playoffs begin. Mm. The FedEx St. Jude Championship uh, gets underway today. Scotty Scheffler, the favorite. John Rahman McElroy on his heels. Uh, but the McElroy question is this because mm. you are the McElroy whisperer. Uh, we know that like legacy moments mm. hold him back just a little bit. Money moments, though, and this is a money moment. Mm -hmm. This month is a money moment for the golf world. Mm -hmm. You can make a lot of coin if you have success over the next couple weeks here. Do those moments, mm -hmm. are those too big for Rory at this point? Because no. that doesn't seem like it's the case. If he's playing for cash, it's all good. No. If he's playing for a major, you know, that's when it gets a little bit dicey. But do you expect to see... A, a good Rory McIlroy over the next month or so here, and B, like, is it are the problems and issues reserved for four weekends a year with him? Yeah, they are. And again, it's like every golfer outside of the four that won majors this year would kill for his weekends at majors. Like, I like again, like I know no one wants to hear that this is the Leafs outshot the Lightning on the deserve to win o meter. Like, I understand what I'm saying here, but if you go just look at score to par in majors over the last two years, he is not just the best guy in that statistic. It is not even close. He won the FedEx cup last year. I wholly expect, or two years ago, I wholly expect him to have a good showing. It's like golf is hard to predict. Who knows if he goes and wins the thing, but yeah, Rory's going to be there at the tour championship. He is going to be in the mix. He's going to be part of it on Sunday. The money isn't an issue for him. And quite honestly, I'm not going to say the majors aren't an issue. There's just always been someone uh, a little bit better. And yeah, he needs to find a way to break through. Like I'm not making an excuse for him there, but I, I, wholly expect him to have a, uh, a good showing in the FedEx Cup. Okay, here. so what's the best way to play that opinion? Because uh, we're mm. going to do a wake and rake. The wake and rake, by the way, yep. winning uh, last night, which is great. Um, you know, there's uh, not just money for the golfers. Could mm -hmm. be money for us who are not golfing or at least golfing in way less pressure packed situations. Uh, do you hunt down like head to heads? I'm seeing minus 130 just, for Rory don't, against Patrick Cantlay. You just don't bet Rory McIlroy. Like, no, unfortunately. Well, you, you just said this is when he shines. No, but, but, but Again, it's like, so I I would, the thing I would feel confident about saying, like, you should bet on Rory McIlroy to finish top five in the FedEx Cup when it's all said and done, but that's not going to pay you anything. Like, when you're betting golf, you have to search for value. Like, that is why I had never touched Rory Mm -hmm. at a major. I, if I'm feeling super bullish about him, we'll maybe grab him at like a top five just to have a little action skin in the game. But you, I, when I'm betting golf, it is stay away from all the guys at the top. So yeah, you can go ahead, have a head to head. But the problem with head to heads at this time of year is they're all great golfers. Like this week, it's a little less. So with 70 as opposed to 50 next week, but that's the problem. It's like, 
Patrick Cantlay, it's like, do I feel better about Rory McIlroy? Definitely higher. I areas. do, but it's like Patrick Cantlay could just as easy go out and shoot 66 today, and Rory could, you know, shoot a 70 and have a totally fine round, but it's just, yeah, big variance there. So you just you stay away from it. You just do not bet on Rory McIlroy unless you have a big feeling the exact opposite way I do. Like, it's like that's where you get your value on a guy like him is like to miss a cut at a major or something like that. That's where you see your value. It's just there. there's nowhere there's nowhere to find it on I think Rory McIlroy. McElroy will perform well at golf. It's it's just, it's a fool's yeah. errand trying Pat- to chase it. Patrick Cantley's a money guy too. I mean, he's, uh, as far as I he's remember. Literal, literally a Goldman Sachs <laughs> yeah. on the hat. Yes, that is a good point. I, I think he'll be ready uh, for this month as well. I think it might be the most important thing to old Patrick Cantley. Uh, but yeah, the FedEx St. Jude gets underway probably in about nine minutes or so. I, I, guess I don't know. Actually, I, think- I don't know. I just saw a tweet about some amended tea times. So there could be some weather okay, on the so, ground. So it could be some weather. There always could be be some weather and there could be some weather i guess in memphis but uh, not too late yet to get in a little action if you're uh wanting to bet the fedex cup and the first event of the fedex cup playoffs uh we'll do a proper wake and rake today uh we'll leave time for that we got harold reynolds harold reynolds excuse me next uh we'll talk a little bit more about uh bautista going to the level of excellence harold reynolds had a great spot uh, to witness that moment, and we'll go around the league with Harold and uh, proper wake and rake after that. So get your wake and rake submissions in. Let's try and make it two in a row. Michael Lorenzen cashing for us with a no hitter. Maybe the good vibes will continue on into a baby Friday. We will do Harold Reynolds and the wake and rake after the break. In depth Blue Jays coverage with an analytical twist. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For someone of uh, our vintage, Gunner, I think there are truly two where were you moments. Okay. One was the golden goal. Oh, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. I think everyone remembers where they were, what they were doing, who they were with. The Shout other. Out to 471 Randolph in Windsor, baby, my university house. There you go. Oh. I think I was uh, 26 Suffolk. Okay. I don't know why we're putting addresses out there. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't. In London, Ontario. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so let's go bug that guy who lives in Windsor. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Like, and, and the other one, of course, is the bat flip. Uh, so I ask you, Gunner, because I don't know, and you can have a conversation with any Jays fan anywhere if you True. just bring up this discussion or this topic. Where were you for the bat flip? I will not give the address, but I was at uh, my parents' home where I, uh, I don't know if I was living or if I was just visiting there. But yes, I was at my parents' house for, uh, for said bat flip. Okay. It was pretty crazy. What about you? Uh, bar across from a former workplace. Mm. Uh, what it wasn't a private room, but it basically amounted like to a it. private yeah. room because <laughs> it was just one of those bars with like a bunch of weird little rooms, oh, but they yeah. had a TV. And uh, it was probably the most excited I've ever been watching a single sports moment. I think it was, of course, there was maybe a little extra uh, there because you're in a bar, you're with friends, and mm-hmm. you're uh, enjoying yourself. Um, but yeah, it is. It is probably the sports moment that I think I will never forget. Like there may, the golden goal, do I remember exactly how it happened? Where, like where it Mm -hmm. went down? Yes. Do I remember it as vividly? No, I don't think I do. I think 2015 and the bad flip will always uh, be the top of the list for me. And and, and just terms of remembering and being in the moment for a sports moment specifically. Uh, For me, that is the, that is the Raptors title. 
it's not a like it's not the shot that I'm talking about is specifically the title night like I wasn't I was out at an establishment but I wasn't in the thick of it downtown and I just remember stepping out of the bar and everyone's just hugging on the streets and a guy just had a saxophone out the window of his car because he's just so happy that they won so that's the one that sticks out for me but yeah bat flip up there for a lot of people as well uh I know where Harold Reynolds was uh for the moment for the bat flip in 2015 and he's our next guest former MLB infielder and current MLB network analyst Harold Reynolds joins us now uh, Bautista Jose Bautista entering the level of excellence you were there for the most memorable moment of his career, the bat flip in 2015. Do you have memories of that night? Do you have flashes of that moment, that home run, that setting still pop up in your memory, Harold? I just remember how loud it was. (laughs) It was, that place was rocking. And uh, yeah, when he hit the ball, but the reaction, you didn't follow him. You're following the baseball, right? So Really, it was more uh, on the replay when you saw his bat flip. But just the crowd, um, that was a crazy series. Back and forth, just excitement, and it was really cool. I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome to hear you say that because, like, obviously here in Toronto and Canada, it's an iconic moment, and not to say that it isn't across baseball, but, uh, you know, obviously we love the uh, the recognition from somebody like you. You know, looking at a moment like that, what else stands out to you, whether it be from your career as a player, as a broadcaster? Like, are there any other moments that you were in the building for that just kind of jump out in the in a similar way? Well, I mean, it reminds me of the Joe Carter home run. I was at that game, too. <laughs> you know, when um, when you think about iconic moments in Toronto, um, the Joe Carter home run, that uh, Batista, and there was a weird, crazy play. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but the catcher threw the ball back yeah. and it oh, hit yeah. the hitter, the batter's bat and ricocheted. And I had that happen when I was in a ball. And so I knew that that's a live ball. So I immediately in the broadcast was able to go, that's a live ball. And they were running all over the place. And, you know, the researchers were searching for, <laughs> for the answers and all that. But I was like, I, I lived that in, in minor league baseball. So, those two, those three or four incidences in Toronto, and then the other one, I guess the fourth one for me is the Jose Canseco home run he hit uh, in the fifth deck or whatever in yeah. Toronto that time. <laughs> he hit that massive home run. So those are my 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 moments that kind of stand out in that in that stadium. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting you mentioned Carter. We were lucky enough actually at Joe Carter's golf tournament this year to interview him and Batista together. And it's like, those are the two guys who have hit the most iconic homers in franchise history. So yeah, that was uh, that was incredible. And yeah, it's great to get you on. And uh, you know, the reason we're starting talking to you about that is Batista going into the level of excellence uh, this this weekend. Not, not many people have their names up there. So certainly a, a special honor for him. Do want to ask you about uh, this year's iteration of the, of the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, this has been a team that has been confounding to a lot of people. George Springer at one point was in a 0 for 35 slump. Vladdy has not been his normal self. And then to throw everything uh, for even further a wrench, you lose Bo Bichette for nearly a month or, or so here. Uh, what do you, from an outside looking in, what are your, your opinions of the Jays? Well, I've always felt like they were the best team in the American league um, above Houston and above, you know, obviously Texas out West right now they're on the top, but but in the in the American League East, it's a it's a dogfight, and even above Tampa and and New York and whatever else, I always thought ball, that the Blue Jays were the team to beat. 
I just love their lineup. I thought their pitching was going to be a lot better. They just haven't put it together consistently. But the beauty of a major league season, like last night, they win a game one nothing, Springer homers in the first inning, and they win that game. So little things start to turn you around, and the race is still so tight. And I think we're at a point now where it's like just get in the postseason. You don't have to win your division. Just get in, and those teams that that can rise to the top with loaded talent have a chance to make a run. In the National League, I think of San Diego. If San Diego gets in, they're a dangerous team. And I think the same way is viewed with, with the Blue Jays. If they get in the playoffs, they're a team that can actually make a run all the way to the World Series. They're that, they're that deep and that loaded. Yeah, it definitely is the most important thing now just to get in because we saw just as recent as last year, the Philadelphia Phillies went on a run that was largely unexpected. They got a chip in a chair and they used it to get to the final table, get to the World Series, ultimately come up short against the Houston Astros. But if you get in, you certainly have a chance and you have the chance to erase what would be and what's trending towards sort of a entire season of disappointment from a lineup perspective. I mean, maybe that's a little hyperbolic, but you said you had a lot of expectations for the lineup. We had more expectations for the lineup and certain individuals who have not necessarily lived up to expectation, but is it as simple as, Hey, if you get to the playoffs, you can turn the page and what happened over 162 doesn't as matter as much because there's a new opportunity right in front of you. Uh, It is that simple. Sometimes it's as simple as turning the page uh, of the calendar. You know, you may have had a, a bad May. All right, here comes June. You know, I may have had a bad June. Here comes July. Uh, that's kind of how, how guys, players think. And you almost think in increments of 100 at-bats, and you think in increments of a month. So if you can just kind of turn that page and, and get rolling. Um, you know, I looked at, like, Vladdy, for example. You were saying he had – there was one stretch he hadn't homered at home. Yep. <laughs> and, and eventually, you know, he went out and hit, like, three or four home runs at home. So it, it's just strange how seasons go like that. But um, I, I really believe that as the ball gets rolling, um, everybody struggles at the same time and everybody gets hot at the same time. And it just takes a little turn of the page to get it going. You know, there's so much talk in this market specifically. I'm sure it's not just here. I'm sure it's a lot of places. But the second the bats go quiet at all, all eyes immediately go to the hitting coach. Like, ah, what is it this guy does here? Can he please fix them? You have worked with hitting coaches in your big league career. I imagine you have kind of worked as a hitting coach for your teammates with you guys bouncing things off of each other. What is it that a coach or teammates are doing for a player? And like you said, maybe you're all kind of mired in it together. But so often we hear this idea of, ah, the hitting coach has to do something or you got to make an adjustment. What are they throwing at you? And I imagine it's different for kind of every player. But what are they throwing at you in those in those moments when a when a player or a whole team is kind of slumping? Well, it, it's funny. Um, if you'd asked me this question ten years ago, I'd have a different answer. Five years ago, okay. different answer. I, I think our game has changed so much with the involvement of front offices. Um, lineup construction has a lot to do with how guys perform, and. Um, how how I feed off a certain guy. You know, when, when, when I was playing, you hit in increments of three, like the first three hitters in the lineup, the next three hitters, the next three hitters like that. And you would continually be around that person. So, I, for example, I'd say, hey, I'm going to be running early in the count. So a guy might take pitches for me, or he might know he's going to get fastballs to hit. You know, we change our lineup so much now. I don't think players 
are able to gauge what are they going to throw me based on who's hitting around me. And that has a lot to do with how lineups are hot or cold. And it's not just the Blue Jays. It's prevalent throughout baseball. So I think when you find a team like the Atlanta Braves, says, here's our lineup, go get them. They have consistency every season. And it doesn't surprise me that the Braves continue to have great offensive production year in, year out, and they don't go in these long lulls of, of guys not producing because I think they have consistency. And with the inconsistent lineups that front offices produce, I think it produces inconsistency within production as well. So that's how I look at it. There's there's never been a bigger change in our sport than the swing paths guys are taking and the lineups that are being produced. So I think all that produces inconsistency. Uh, If I'm sharing my own internal processes, Harold, it's that I'm trying to wrap my head around the Blue Jays having a good bullpen because for my entire life, it seems like the Blue Jays have lacked in that department. But uh, this year, they just seem to have the pieces coming together. They've got a guy like Chad Green, who may or may not be an option for them, who could be and has been a dominant guy uh, in previous walks uh, in Major League Baseball. But last night was a good example of it because Jordan Romano wasn't available and they had a combination across two innings of Eric Swanson, Jordan Hicks, and Tim Meza, you know, sharing two innings and putting the Guardians away in a one-run ball game. And it's just the Guardians. It's a lesser lineup for sure. But there's some flexibility there and there's some room for improvement there with Jordan Romano uh, likely being available when it matters the most. So when you look at the back end of the of the bullpen for the Blue Jays. Does it, in your opinion, stack up to anyone else in the American League? Yeah, they've got a fantastic bullpen. And, uh, you know, how they're using them uh, has really uh, been a difference. And I think Jordan Hicks getting him late like they did gives them even more flexibility like you just talked about. Um, last night, if you watch the game, that really, as you just laid out and documented so well, it really showed what they're capable of doing. So imagine now you get a starter that goes five, six innings. You can back all those guys up in the back part of the, of, of the game. So, so yeah, I, I think the bullpens, believe it or not, will win games the rest of the year. The bullpen is going to be the key to a postseason if a team fails or if a team succeeds. It really starts to fall back on that bullpen. Yeah, the only the only thing, if I'm going to get picky, and it shows how good the Jays' bullpen is, if I'm going to get picky, they don't have that, like, Andrew Miller can go a couple innings guy, but Jordan Hicks can go a couple innings if they need him to. Like, you don't typically want to stretch him out to five, six outs, but he has done that in the past. And the other thing about it is, you know, they all haven't been great, but they're running a six-man rotation, so it's possible they convert one of their starters into that kind of longer guy uh, should, the need, should the need be. Uh, they're going to start up a series tomorrow against the Cubs. Uh, I'll be honest, I'll put my hand up. I was shocked to see the Cubs had the record they did at this point in time. Uh, are you surprised that they've, uh, that they've kind of turned it around so, so quickly there? Uh, yeah, I think everybody is, you know, when you went, they went into the winter uh, last year, they signed Danzy Swanson. You go get Cody Bellinger. You didn't know what he was going to end up doing. Now he's hitting three thirty, and he's back in the MVP conversation. You know, those two players really flipped everything around uh, for the Cubbies. And then they've got some pretty good production. But I don't think anybody uh, thought they'd be at this point. Even as they're entering into the trade deadline the 1st of August, uh, it was, okay, if we're at four games back or five games back out of the wild card, do we sell these guys off in Stroman and 
in Bellinger or do we keep him? And so even the Cubs, uh, as of two weeks ago, were sitting there going, what are we going to do? So I still think there's a little surprise in it. But, man, they put the pedal to the metal now. They're playing great baseball. Uh, they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And they're, they're, they're really starting to put it together. So, um, so for you to look at the record today, uh, I don't think you're alone in being surprised at the point as well as they are. MLB Network's Harold Reynolds on the line with us. Okay, so let's look at the rest of the American League. Actually, let's look at the top end of the American League East because uh, I don't know if we should, you know, uh, count out the Yankees and Red Sox, but I'm willing to do it at least uh, today. I've got my eyes, of course, on the Orioles and Rays. Orioles having a little bit of a hiccup right now. Rays have not been very good since their uh, torrid start. Now, it's not imperative that the Blue Jays catch one of them, but do you see either of them as vulnerable at this point in the season? It might be too early to say that about Baltimore, despite maybe being uh, outclassed here by a really good team in Houston, but uh, the Rays just being, I think, about five games up uh, or ahead of the Blue Jays. Do you think the Blue Jays can catch them based on where their season trajectory seems to be going? Um, I think they can catch the Rays. Uh, you know, the Rays have been, you know, they have these pitching injuries right now. I think McClanahan being out is really going to hurt them. Um, and their offense is kind of slow. So, like you said, they haven't played great baseball since really the first half of the season. So, they're still, they got such a great start that they're kind of riding that wave still. Uh, the, the Baltimore Orioles, I thought this was a learning series against the Houston Astros. You know, you lose on a grand slam to your closer, who's probably the best in the American League right now, and Batista um, in in the first night with Tucker and, and hitting the grand slam for the Astros. But I look at the way they lost these games. Those were all about experience. How, how, how are we going to adjust it next time we're in this situation? I think the talent is there. They're a really good club. They're better than most people thought, but I think they've really matured. I think they'll learn from – this weekend was big for them playing against the Astros. It's kind of a litmus test. Where do we really stand? And I think that's, that's how they'll go forward. So I don't see the Orioles really having as much of a hiccup as maybe the Rays. Um, the Blue Jays just got to take care of business. Uh, I think they're their own worst enemy. You know, they dug themselves in a hole. If they can continue to – they have as much talent as anybody. If they can stay out of their own way – take care of business one day at a time. I, I still think they got a shot to really do some big things this year. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, the question I have with Baltimore, and I'll, I'll ask it to you right now, it's the one I have after the deadline, it's the one I had heading in, is how should a team at their kind of spot in their window approach things? I mean, they didn't sit on their hands. They went out and got Jack Flaherty, and he was okay last night. He was really good in his first outing uh, against the Jays. That's not nothing, but I did, you know, they have all the prospect capital in the world. They could have gone and got anything they wanted for all intents and purposes, but I also realize this is a young team and maybe you want to save some of those prospect bullets for, you know, when Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman are a year old or a year better. Uh, what did you make of their approach at the deadline? Again, they didn't do nothing, but they could have been potentially more aggressive as well. Well, if you remember last year, they traded their closer. So I, I do. I think this year, <laughs> you know, this year they, they, they understand a little bit better where they're at. Baby steps, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I think they're saying, hey, we're really good. We're making a run, but we understand our window is the next five years. And they weren't going to blow that up. So I, I, I still think they were like, if something presents itself, like they were in on Shohei Otani 
a lot of conversations about the Orioles going out to get Shohei Otani. And they knew it was going to be a rental, and they knew they were going to have to give up prospects to get it. So they were going for the big fish. I don't think they would just do it for anybody. You know what I mean? Unless that player was like yep. truly going to help them get over the mountaintop. And I don't think anybody at this trade deadline, they sat there outside of Justin Verlander, that they said, this would get us over the mountaintop. I, I, don't, I don't think you saw that outside of Otani and Verlander. Uh, so they didn't get those players. They didn't make that move. Uh, they did a little incremental things that might help them. But for the most part, they're like, let's roll with it. And I think next year, as they start, the next two years, they're going to have to start to lock up players. They're going to have to try to keep this core together. And they've still got some great prospects coming. So I think that's how they viewed it. Uh, last one for you here, Harold. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays, or I guess the Orioles, could make things easier on the Jays by dropping down a little bit. But the Jays are in a bit of a precarious position right now in that they're sandwiched between the Astros and Seattle Mariners and clinging to the final playoff spot. I mean, I think it's going to be difficult to chase down the Houston Astros. They look like they're a sleeping giant potentially in the American League. But I think the major concern if there is any for the Blue Jays right now, is how hot these Mariners are and how well they are playing right now. Uh, Seven straight victories, nine of their last ten. They are only two games back of the Blue Jays. So I'll ask you, how real are the Mariners and how real is this threat that they seem to be putting together? Well, I I think they're they're real. You know, they were a playoff team last year. Uh, They hadn't played very good until the last two weeks. And they're putting it together now. I also, I think schedule is going to help the Mariners a little bit. I think when you look at, they're going to play Oakland. Uh, the Angels have not been very good. Those are the clubs they're going to play. When Toronto's turn around, they've got to play the Yankees and the Red Sox and guys like that. Even though the records aren't there, you know they're formidable opponents that are better than what the Mariners are going to face. That's the tough part about the wild card. You're not going one-on-one with Toronto and Seattle saying, all right, mano-a-mano, let's see who's better. No, now you got to leapfrog while they're playing somebody else, and that's what makes it very difficult. Yeah, it's shaping up to be a fascinating race down the stretch. There's a lot of good teams in the American League. I'm not sure we can say the same about the National League. It seems like uh, the Braves are, well, they're very comfortable in the standings right now, but maybe pretty comfortably going to the World Series. We shall see. There will be, uh, there will be someone that says something about that, but it is highly, highly competitive in the American League and specifically the American League East, so it should provide a brilliant finish. Uh, Harold, we appreciate you coming on this morning. We'd love to do it again before the end of the season. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Thanks for the time, guys. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. That's Harold Reynolds of MLB Network. A uh, little disappointing to pull up the probables for the Cubs this weekend, not seeing Marcus Stroman. Yeah, you would have liked that. Although, I don't know that you would. Oh, I would have loved it. No, like, come on. It, it can't. It, it, it is fitting that Strowman is here on the weekend. That oh, Baptiste no, no. Is going up. The story, everything you want it. It's just as likely as it is that Marcus Strowman would go out there and get hit around a little bit and everyone go, oh, yeah, this is great. It's just like we talk about a guy who gets his back up against the wall in Batista. That's kind of Marcus Strowman, too. So careful what you wish for there. Probably for the best that he is just going to be there smiling and injecting himself into things he will he will inject himself into things that's a that's a pretty good way to put it Gunner. He uh, will. that is that's a lock in he the wake and rig that's off yeah. the board everywhere it's like marcus stroman being in the mix minus three hundred thousand. he will inject minus three thousand uh let's hit that wake and rig wake up now it's time for wake and rig you could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy show me the money 
with Ailish and Justin. So to reiterate, uh, we did win the Wake and Rake last night in pretty decisive fashion. Mm -hmm. Michael Lorenzen throwing a no-hitter. Uh, Phillies cover the run line. And Gosman throws 6Ks to cover the 5.5K line. And of course, another game goes under. What's new between the Guardians and the Blue Jays? one nothing the final. George Springer getting the only knock of that game. Uh, I hear and I understand, Gunner, because you've already said mm -hmm. it on this show, that you are going back to the well. Yeah. Why would I screw around? They're giving me one more run to play with. I know that's because Manoa and uh, Syndergaard are the starters in this game. Little different than Kevin <laughs> Gosman being, being on the bump. Just a touch. But I had a lot of wiggle room there yesterday, and they're giving me one more run of wiggle room. Under nine and a half runs, minus 110. Give it to me. It's the, a coward bet, I feel like, but I don't care. It's going to cash. <laughs> the aggregate under, if there is such thing, oh. uh, will certainly hit in this series. Only six runs in three games. Hopefully, uh, well, hopefully not because we're trying to hit an under, but I'd like to see, you know, seven. A little entertainment hey, plus a winning back Jays would be could nice. Win seven nothing. That could happen. That That's not out of the question. That eh. would be love. Mm, feels a little Lovely. dicey with Manoa. I got to be honest. That does feel How about a six little two. Dicey. There we go. Only one submission. I guess I'm not doing my part reminding you to uh, throw in wake and rake submissions, especially a day after a victory. So we got to go, and we're okay with going with Courier Chris uh, in Niagara Falls today. He's going Springer over uh, 1.5 total bases. He's on a roll this series. He's been on a roll for the last eight games. I'll allow it. We'll allow it. Yeah, I'm, so I'm on board. It does, it does run counter a little bit to the under nine and a half, but those things aren't directly correlated. So uh, over one and a half total bases uh, for George Springer will be the third play. Uh, my play, I'm going to the NFL preseason. Yes. I, I've got the itch. Crazy, I need to scratch it. Yes. I need to scratch it. Uh, the Texans don't have like the best quarterbacks in the world, but they got good preseason quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud, of course, mm -hmm. uh, their first-round draft pick, will uh, get the nod tonight. He'll probably be playing uh, a fair amount. But after they get off Stroud, they go to Davis Mills, who has mm. tons of experience. Yeah, that's a guy. He could be a great preseason quarterback against lesser competition. And their third string is Case Keenum. I'm, I'm, you're, that's the thing in preseason. Like, you're waiting for the bad mm. quarterbacks to arrive. With the Houston Texans, you don't really have to do that. So minus three what and a half over the... New England Patriots, who have no interest in winning preseason games, give me the Texans to cover. Oh, careful. Billy Zappi going to come Zappi in the back half of that game. Patriots backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah careful. Ba Bailey, actually, Zapp Bailey Zappi can hang. I have, I have no opinion on that, actually. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I do like your rationale. Pick the team with all half-decent backup quarterbacks in the preseason is actually exceptional gambling logic, so I will not knock you for it. And you're not going to allow me to play... Um, what? McElroy minus one thirty over Cantley you, today. You, you, say, you, you say I do, shouldn't. You can do whatever you want. That just but feels like, like I'm asking for. for, for I'm asking for your no, advice. No, don't do that. At minus one thirty. It's like there is no juice to squeeze out of that, and it's like it is a it's a push. Quite honestly, like if you're just being like if we're setting honest lines about that, it's more or less a push. So yeah, I I don't. I don't want you to do that to yourself. Okay, it is plus money by the way on George Springer over one and a half bases. So if you put that parlay together, ooh. Can't do it. Going to be a little tight for me. I got to do this very quickly. Uh, plus 105. We are going to get in the plus 700 range, depending okay. on where you're playing. So that's okay. pretty good with a little plus money and with a little preseason action. Also, I feel like we were talking about playoff races in baseball. Um, we might have one. Not, not so much regarding any divisions in the American League. NL Central, though. Cubs and Reds, both two and a half games back of the Brewers. I, I feel like every year there's a division race, and it's because all those teams are 
either okay or good-ish on any given year. The Reds obviously kind of re-injecting themselves this year. They're kind of playing the card spot. But yeah, we might get a real live division race in baseball. Obviously, you know, maybe the Cubs could fall out of it. That'd be nice for the Blue Jays this weekend. But yeah, we might get a real live division race. The Reds hitting the skids at the wrong time. I would like to say I was right about this. I came on here in the throes of the Ellie Dela Cruz hype, and I'm like, <laughs> it's still the Reds, guys. And it guess, is still and the guess Reds. guess what? Guess what? It's still the Reds. How about the Padres? Plus 56 run differential. They are, they have to leapfrog four teams to get into the last wildcard. I don't know how. how I don't even understand how that happens. And they've lost four in a row because they are in Seattle and getting drugged by the Mariners who don't lose. I did like Barker's rationale. They just got too many dogs in the room. Too many cooks in the kitchen in in, uh, San Diego. There's too many alphas. There are a lot of alphas with the San Diego Padres. There's an alpha who's going to be celebrated in Toronto this weekend, and that's Jose Bautista. The alphas of all alphas, at least when it comes to the Blue Jays in recent history. Uh, It's going to be an important weekend, a fun weekend. We'll tee the rest of that up tomorrow on the Fan Morning Show.